Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I am joined by my sister Kay, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the first season of Private Eyes. This is a show that originated up in Canada on the global network and has been showing here in the U.S. on ION. Mm -hmm. It is another police procedural detective type show. I was challenging you to give a name to this subgenre. It is funny because I half want us to do... After we've seen the second season of this that's already aired, a compare and contrast between this, take two, Mm -hmm. that we've got one more episode to watch before we'll record on that, Carter and Castle. Yeah. All of these shows fall into, for lack of a better description, the celebrity investigator category. Well, and I would put them into a very similar category to both Murder, She Wrote and uh, Remington Steele. Murder, She Wrote, I would agree, because Jessica Fletcher was a known author and therefore also a celebrity. For Remington Steele, that to me is a standard just private eye kind of a show, like Simon and Simon Magnum P.I. But he was a celebrity thief. It was that same fish out of water who didn't belong in the investigation genre firm police I think if if you go with the fish out of water, you start pulling in things like Columbo, Monk, and a few others. But wasn't wasn't Monk one of the officers? Yeah, but again, fish out of water because socially he was so awkward. Okay. That's why I'm thinking the celebrity detective or investigator is a bit different. Because in pretty much all of the ones, uh, uh, the four we were talking about, Castle being probably the most widely known with Nathan Fillion. Well, and because Carter and Take-Two just started airing in america over the summer yeah they're like off-season type shows and i think if you're not looking for them you would miss them and they're good shows yeah but all four of these shows have basically somebody who either is or was a celebrity who kind of gets pulled into an investigation in castle's case with the police uh also with with carter but with take two and, and here with private eyes with a private investigator yeah. And just kind of wind up continuing to work with the, the investigator after that. Well, they bring the different perspective to what they're doing. I I think here in Private Eyes, once or twice, it felt a little stretched. Well, it was funny because with the first two episodes, the celebrity here is Matt Shade, a, a former hockey player. Uh, hockey's big in Canada, and so a lot of people know of him. And in the first episode, the case was all about the hockey. Mm-hmm. So he had the inside scoop. In the second case, it was about upscale restaurants, which he'd done, you know, eaten at a lot and gotten to know a lot about. And uh, had had his, a failed investment in. Failed investment in. But again, through his hockey stuff. So it was starting to seem like he's the uh, subject matter expert. Yeah, well, and the second one felt like more of a stretch to me. Kind it worked, of. but it did seem a little, it's like, because it, it, I was worried with the third, it's like, well, what's he going to be the expert in now? Cars and then the next, you know, horse racing or whatever. And yeah. They did not go that route. Yes, thankfully. 
they they really played down that level of um, worldly knowledge or however you would want to phrase that. And it was still getting to where periodically he would be recognized. Sometimes he wouldn't be because, again, he was a big sports figure, Mm -hmm. not is a big sports figure. Yeah, he's been away long enough that he's been doing the, uh, not the recruiting, but the scouting. The scouting, talent scout, yeah. And it's an interesting premise. Part of what intrigued me about it is we had seen, we'd obviously watched Castle, big fans of Mm. that. Take Two is being done by that same uh, people behind the scenes. I will go ahead and say here, I think Take Two, given how much they publicize by the same people who did Castle, makes it an unfortunate title. Yes. But having seen that, you had told me about Carter. I had basically went to IMDb, and then they've got the here are other shows like it. And hmm, there's this one, Private Eyes. I mean, talk about a really inventive name. It's it's about Private Eyes. Let's call it Private Eyes, but let's spell out the word eyes. <laughs> Ooh. But what intrigued me about it was it was Jason Priestley. Yeah. Uh, obviously, best known for, for 90210. Was also in uh, Haven for a little bit. But let's go further back to Sister Kate. He's worked a lot over the yeah. years. His his real stardom, though, I think, was 902. He oh, was definitely. acting before that. Well, one of the things that was intrigued me on 90210 was most people didn't seem to recognize he'd done a series before that. Mm-hmm. They were very caught up on Shanda Herty had done a series before that and his co-stars yeah. having the background. And he just very quietly came in and didn't make a big deal about the fact it wasn't his first series. Well, what was interesting here is it feels like he'd been away for quite some time until you realize, well, he'd done Haven. He'd done a few other things. He had a, I think, a sitcom up in Canada for a while. Hmm. Um, I forget. I, I haven't watched it, so I don't know what it is. I think um, Fritz was in the name of it. I, I forget, though. I'd have to look it up. And he's done a few other things in the meanwhile. I think he might have been in maybe True Calling or something like that. I'd have to go look up the IMDb page. Interesting. But it's not like he just, you know, completely vanished and then just this is his comeback or anything. But it's it's a very different character than Brandon Walsh. Yeah. But he brings his uh, acting chops, his his you know, charisma and whatever, you know, he he clearly knows his way around an acting gig and does a great job here. There are a lot of scenes that a less talented actor couldn't pull off. And one of the scenes from late in the season that comes to mind is when uh, he's practicing the line, I love it. Mm-hmm. And doesn't even know why, but he's giving the different inflections and stuff. And the daughter comes in, and you realize he's just doing it because he's a father who wants to make his daughter happy. Well, that's one of the other things that makes this seem similar to Castle. Yeah, Castle, you've got a a famous writer who gets pulled into an investigation that's themed around his his books. And then ends up working with the police after that. But in his private life, he's a single father of a daughter and his mother doesn't live there, but visits often. Practically lives there. Well, at times she may have actually. Yeah. Here we've got ex-hockey player and recruiter working with a private eye in his private life. He's got a daughter and his father lives with them to help keep an eye on the daughter. Yeah. Or the father's granddaughter, but you get the idea. Just to go with the the TV trope of, well, you can't just have regular people. The daughter has, uh, forget exactly what it was, but she's legally blind. She can see shapes 
light mm-hmm. and dark enough to not like bump into like furniture or whatever but not so much that she can read look at photos or something like that and there's enough of the work life kind of balance on the show that half the subplots most of the subplots are around matt shade's private life yeah you know getting the daughter into a new school how's it going with the daughter with her friends oh she's dating now and she's like 14 so it's a big deal for him and what's going on with the dad all those sorts of things and it humanizes the character and gives a counterbalance of he's got the trying to make it now as a a pi that he's completely initially ill-suited for he's got the right uh, how how is it phrased he's got the right instincts yeah but none of the training so he's trying to to learn all that on the go uh and balancing that with with again he's a single father suddenly because the wife had custody and now he does so they do some interesting things there, and the father for Matt Shade is the same actor who played the father of Brian Mills, the lead character on Taken. Mm-hmm. And he does good as, you know, that sort of character. Uh, and the daughter, I think, does a great job. The daughter really does. Well, and going back to your castle comparison, it's a very similar, because of the type of father she has, she's had to become very responsible and very aware. And late in the season when we meet the mom, Mm -hmm. we realize it's probably even more because of the mom than because of the dad. In both cases, in this case, uh, Jules, Juliet, um, is a very with it together kid in in the case of castle you've got the daughter practically raising the father who's the more childish yeah and over the course of those what seven eight seasons of castle we see definitely the progression and where that relationship you know twists and turn and stuff as as the child is, is becoming old enough that the parent even though he wasn't keeping an eye on her doesn't need to we're really early into that kind of a thing with private eyes it's got a it, it's already aired a second season mm. it's got a third season coming and the other thing that uh i think we both found of interest when we watched the the pilot because it was a yeah, let's see it see if it's any good if it's not we don't have to keep watching it yeah it was well written for the pilot yes i think they had some of their wittier dialogue some really good back and forth good chemistry between the leads um but it's based on a book that intrigued me i want to read the book we've we've gotten the ebook and and it's on the list to to read and and do an episode on now that we've we've finished off the time wars stuff uh other books are gonna get in there and that that'll be one of them but it's based on the code which is about i think it's is it brad shade or something like that something like that not having read it but having read the description of the book i can see where they based this loosely on that but it's not like a, a literal translation. I mean, again, much like uh, Rizzolian Isles. Yes. Was based on a series of novels and some definite liberties were taken. Yeah. And the other thing I found fascinating about this is obviously we knew who Jason Priestley was. We'd seen the guy who plays his dad in Taken. Barry Flatman. Barry Flatman. Um, there are two cops that they interact with a lot. Uh, one is basically the childhood best friend of um, the, the PI Shade is working with. Ennis Esmer. Whom we know from Listener. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've seen, uh, well, also uh, Dark Matter. Yes. And then the other cop, uh, Clay Bennett. I think so. And I'm not sure if I pronounced his first name right. We know from... Flashpoint. Flashpoint. And I think he might have been in Heroes Reborn that we still haven't watched. Mm. So... We're going in knowing the majority of the cast, and the ex-wife of Shade is um, uh, Nicole DeBoer from uh, Deep Space Nine, uh, the final season of that, and uh, Dead Zone. 
Yeah. The Dead Zone connection is worth mentioning because Private Eyes is uh, executive co-produced or, you know, whatever, by uh, Sean Piller, uh, son of Michael Piller. Those two had done The Dead Zone. Michael Piller, also known for Deep Space Nine and some of the other Star Trek shows. Yeah. So, I mean, they've got a, a people behind the scenes that know TV, mm-hmm. know how to write this sort of, you know, episodic, uh, I don't want to say police procedural in this respect, because I would say Dead Zone's a little different from that, but it's every episode there's a mystery to solve. Yeah, and they lay out the clues, and there was one episode where, and I was pointing out to you, I'm like, they just gave us a clue on the wall in the background, and that's going to tell us this guy did it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I loved that they had that attention to detail. And if you noticed it, it wasn't a, oh, they blew the surprise. It was a, oh, to the alert viewer, we got it. They had, I think in that case, Shade spending enough time looking at it. Not like tons of time, but he, he paused, he noticed it, to draw our eye to it to make sure it's not just, hey, it's in the background and, and it was never pointed out, you could miss it. Yeah. So playing fair there, but also playing a little subtle. Yeah. They also did a good episode where a writer um, is involved and he's he's writing his second famous novel or his first. He did the one novel that was famous. They're trying to find out what happened to him and stuff. And they encounter these two uh, other celebrities, a gay couple that are the big gossips in town or whatever. And they're trying to figure out, well, is it because they're going to get outed or I guess they're already out. But they, one of their secrets comes out and therefore could destroy them that yes. they've gone and done all of these things, almost killed the guy or what have you. So they've done a couple of things that were standard mysteries and a few that were were, were different. Yeah. You know, one of the ones we just watched this evening where we did the final three episodes of the season. It was 10 episodes for the season. Which was a good length. It yeah. It gave you a lot of good material on the characters without there being any filler episodes. Mm-hmm. They didn't feel the need to do some grand art. I think if you were going to say, you know, what was some this season up, it was Shade didn't just come in and get a job. He earned his place at the table. It was him going from first meeting the PI to becoming the partner. Yeah. That was that was the arc in their relationship and stuff. And it was well done. It, it- it was, it was genuinely earned. And in that episode I was I was starting to talk about, though, the one thing they did that was very different was one of the cops calls them in to help out because somebody's basically escaped from um, being transported to, to jail or whatever. And the guy's an illusionist. Yeah. And he leaves a rabbit in his place. So it's like, okay, this... This is the kind of story that I would have expected, say, on Castle. Yeah. But not necessarily on your typical kind of private eye or, or detective show. Mm-hmm. And they played fair. They played well with all of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it follows a lot of the standard tropes that you would expect from this with, you know, a male-female, you know, a detective group or pairing or whatever. Yet they don't go for just the cliche, geez, I've seen this a thousand times. Mm-hmm. It's familiar, but it's got some differences, and it's a good balance on that. Yeah. They do a good job with the off-duty, everyday conversations that spark an insight, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. Well, and the detective, Everett, she's got a uh, her own agency that was her father's. Father died a year ago as of the end of the season. Not that long ago as of the beginning of the season. Um, and that gives some of the ties to the police. It's It's got a good dynamic between the two lead characters. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And we've got enough of her backstory with her dad, with her mom, with her childhood friend who's a cop, all those sorts of things, that everybody feels fairly well-rounded and not just they have no life outside of this. Nobody felt like a chess piece being moved on the board. Well, it was interesting to me that often Shade seemed to feel like my family's dysfunctional and I'm trying to repair it and I'm trying to fix my relationship with my daughter. I'm trying to make things better. And yet we often juxtaposed what's going on in his home with Angie Everett being totally alone at night reading a book because she has no relationship with her mother Mm -hmm. and her family and her self-isolation in a lot of ways, making it seem like she doesn't realize it, but maybe she does have the more dysfunctional life and that Shade, who he thinks his life is dysfunctional simply because he's dedicated to making it as healthy as possible is actually improving her life in ways she never realized it could use it. I would say generally speaking, Shade's life is not particularly dysfunctional. Not to the outside viewer, but he seems to constantly be aware of what needs fixing and improving and constantly yeah. be trying to fix it. I think that's an aspect of his, his basic nature. Yes, definitely. I do think, particularly in the pilot, they could have done a better job of explaining why he's a single father. Yes. And why he's kind of suddenly a single father. Yes. Because there's been the custody arrangement and there were some vague references to him traveling all the time for his job. But now he's actually having to be the father. Yeah. And what was interesting is there was never a sense that his dad felt like he was being pushed out of the picture Mm -hmm. by uh, Shade actually kind of stepping up yeah and it took until seven episodes in um actually eight maybe uh for the uh the ex-wife to show up and even then we don't get an actual hey this is why we divorced in the first place type of scene there was they were fighting all the time is what we hear from the daughter yeah you know no clear aspect of how the relationship started evolved fell apart other than that was 10 years ago and they're, they've moved on they're different people yeah. And her suddenly being elsewhere at the beginning of the season again all was we, unclear. All we know is she had some job in Italy. And we know that when she comes back because she came back from it. Yeah. And it was it was fun, uh, particularly early on with Shade learning the ropes of how to be a, a private investigator, mm-hmm. having to take the exam, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the other thing that was well done at the beginning and then kind of a background element in various episodes later, was The Code. Now, that was the name of the book it's based on, but it's basically kind of the the code of ethics that his father drilled into him when he was a young hockey player as he was, you know, becoming more and more popular, more famous and such, and just trying to keep him humble, keep him on the right track. Yeah. What I particularly enjoyed is while the first episode was all about, hey, he was a hockey player, that's a big part of his self-identity, he decides to become the PI, he's got to pay for this private school for his daughter, sells the ring, and that's enough not only to, to cover expenses for the, the school for a bit, he gets the code put onto Braille uh, parts of a necklace yeah. for his daughter yeah. to kind of get the code down to another generation. Yeah, which was really cool. And there were some good moments of, of character building where the, the daughter messes up and he's like, that wasn't a mistake. That was a decision. Mistake mm-hmm. is whether you learn from it or not. Good yes. teaching moments. Well, and there was one point where she was practicing a debate in the kitchen with his father while he's studying for the PI exam. Mm-hmm. 
And he's gotten someone to basically email him last year's PI exam with all the answers with a, this should help you out. And he, is, he goes to read it and learn it. And she's reading from the code of no shortcut. Yeah. Put in the work, do the work kind of a thing. It yeah. was funny because earlier in that, he's got the book to study from and she's like, you haven't even opened it. Yeah. She's legally blind. And she can feel that the spine hasn't been cracked on that book. Well, and when he puts it under something on the way out, she, she catches him because she knows him. Yes. Yes. And again, they the, the, the actors play well off each other. Yeah. It's it's a fun show. It's it's set and shot up in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um I used to work up there for a bit and we've we've gone to a convention up there, seen uh where they were shooting some other shows. Um so there's a lot more snow, a lot of that stuff. Um but they, they take advantage of the city. They do, yeah. I almost want to pause the thing at one point when we see the outside of the PI agency with the uh, street signs. Mm. And then kind of street view it on Google and see, yeah. you know. There's only one time when they were doing sort of the random montage of city shots before they went into a scene where I was like, ah, I wish you hadn't done that. You cut that wrong for me because what they did was the very last one was the interior of a bus. And then they, with people oh. sitting in the seats in the bus, and then they cut to people talking. And I'm like, you just threw me out of one environment into another it's unusual, though, for them to have done that because I think one of the things that's a little different about the show than a lot, there are a lot of kind of shots of the city yeah. where it's a time lapse. You see the headlights of the cars as they're zipping around. And Some beautiful shots of the city. Amazing ones. I don't know if they were originally done for this show or if, if Global or whatever the production company just has invested in, in this kind of a stuff. It it's a good way when it's like oh it's a new day and you see the sunrise and the time lapse to to see Toronto mm-hmm. in in all of its Torontoness yeah in all its glory it's yeah. it's it's a huge city it's it's um, got I believe one of the largest uh, percentages or per capita of of restaurants and ethnicities and stuff like that it's it's a very multicultural mm-hmm. city it's fascinating um, and they don't get too overly Canadian about it. No. Uh, which is an easy thing they could have, uh, some Canadian shows have fallen into in the past. But you're also not going to confuse it with, oh, it's just another American show. Yeah. But it's it's got a different enough look to it, a different group of actors than you would typically see in an LA or New York based show. So it makes it a little harder at the beginning to look through the credits and say, that person did it. And that's a problem we've had on, on some other shows. Very true. Very we, true. We've hit a few times, be it on Castle or some other one, it's like... They got this guy. This guy was about the eighth name down, but in every episode of this other series, nobody else we've ever heard of, that's the killer. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, you're right. And here, again, they they do the typical cut between scenes. Oh, we've got this piece of information, this piece of information, and ta-da, we figured it out. I mean, it's, it, it's I don't say formula mystery writing for TV, but there's a tried and true technique. Mm-hmm. But they execute it well. It's not telegraphed. It's not boring. It's it's not overly cliche. Yeah. And in particularly the pilot episode and some of the others, they've got some some fun writing. Yeah. There are a few others where it's like, okay, they're trying to make this stick. Like when he kept doing uh, some of the puns based on, on the monkey or I was going to say the monkey jokes got old. Yeah. Yeah. But it also gives a little bit of playfulness across the characters, or between the characters across the episodes. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm curious if the ex-wife is a regular second season. Well, that's an interesting question. Because we never didn't see her once she got introduced. And even the cops uh, come and go. And at one point, after a case, the two cops, uh, uh, Angie and, and Shade, all go out to karaoke. Yes. And they're all playing poker at the end, you know? So they're mm-hmm. they're a group of friends. I mean, the two cops don't particularly, aren't, uh, you know, amazed by Shade, but uh, they're getting there. He's a likable character who's clearly trying to be a better person. Yes. And I think overall the trying to be a better person and in subtle ways showing what good heart he has. Like, it doesn't matter how much the ex-wife frustrates him. He's not going to torpedo her job interview. Or the relationship between her and the daughter. Yeah. He's trying to do the right thing where at times it's clearly not his initial instinct. Other times it is. Yeah. And it's funny because he seems surprisingly consistent despite all of that. Yes. They've got a, a interesting bead on the character and I'm curious how much of that is from the novel and how much of it isn't. Mm-hmm. Because um, Sean Piller and Lloyd Sagan, I think, was the other executive producer. Mm. I think they had both worked together on Dead Zone. They know how to put story together. That I believe, based on what we've seen. You know, it's it. it, it there's a, a aspect of experienced show running. There are other shows that I've watched that feel, frankly, lower budget. If you know what I mean. And I don't mean that Mm -hmm. in a literal, they didn't spend as much money, but they don't have the experience. They don't have quite the polish. Well, just in terms of both writing and budget, they pay enough people to talk that you have enough red herrings. You have to think through who it was. Yes. There have been a few shows we've watched where it's okay. The only person who spoke that wasn't in the opening credits cast is... The guilty dude over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they only have one person who's got a name and uh, and lines of dialogue. Yeah. It's pretty clear. It's like, well, it's got to be him. You know, there's nobody else. So, and it, it feels like there's enough of a well-rounded world and other people involved. that When they, the episode with the speed dating, mm-hmm. they had introduced the person who did it, but did it in a way that, that fit the story. Mm-hmm. And didn't telegraph that's who did it. Yeah. When you get to the point where it's like, well, yeah, of course it's her. It feels natural, too. Yes, yes. But not something where the minute the character's introduced, that's who it is. And there there have been a few episodes of some stuff we've watched of late where, and I'm trying to remember if it was this show or maybe it was Take Two or whatever, where, again, person walks on. Again, like uh, when we saw in this one, the uh, the photo. Yes. You were pretty much, yep, that's who did it. Well, okay, in that one, it was the episode where the murder took place on the island. And they'd been saying either someone on the island did it or someone took the ferry to and from the island yep. to do it. Those are the only options. And then we see a picture of a guy scuba diving. Yeah. And I'm like, that's going to be the clue that tells you he did it. Because they're going on the assumption if the guy wasn't on the ferry, they couldn't have done it. And now here's, think outside the box, here's another way they could have done it. Yeah. And I appreciate that think outside the box. I appreciate every aspect of that episode. It was a fun episode. I mean, the writer turned out to not be writing another book, but to be mentoring someone. And not only was he mentoring someone, it wasn't some random stranger. It was the daughter of someone whose life he had destroyed. 
Well, was, one could argue there's some some coincidentalology. What are the odds of that? The other side of that argument is they've actually got a deeper backstory. Yes. Well, and she had sought him out. Yeah. And he saw an opportunity to make amends. They made it play. There was a, if this happened and this happened, well, what about this, this, and that could lead to this, that leads to that. And it's like, oh, well, well, that's that's interesting. Yeah. It, it's not just a, somebody came in, robbed a liquor store, and we got to go chase him down. And, well, we caught him because we, we found out he robbed the liquor store. There's some some meat and some substance to it. Yeah. They got to the end of the episode, and when one of the character's jaw drops with the, well, if I'd known that, we're like, uh-huh. You wish you'd known that, because that's one heck of a story. Yeah. It no, was they, well done. They've they've done some cool stuff here. They've made the lead of, of Matt Shade unique enough, interesting enough, without being overly quirky. Yeah. And he's got his Porsche, but that's about the only highly unusual other than being an ex-hockey player. Which yeah. In Canada, I don't think that unusual. Mm-mm. Well, um, and I'm trying to think, I don't think we actually saw him on skate. The one time we saw him go on ice, he walked on his sneakers. We never saw him on the ice. That's kind of funny. And it, it's even more funny because I think that's very un-Canadian yeah. in my limited experience. I don't mean to stereotype, but Canadians can be passionate about their hockey. Exactly. Particularly one I would think who's been a hockey player. Yeah. Yes, his daughter is legally blind. I still think he would have gotten her on the ice. Yeah. And she'd probably have been a natural. Yeah. But yeah, that is funny. So I've I've enjoyed the 10 episodes. It's it's good watch. It's uh, fun mysteries, good characterization. Um, and I want to see where they go. And I'm, I'm curious about the book that it's based on. Was it a particularly fascinating book that anyone would read and say, you know, this really ought to be a TV show? Or is it one where it's like, you know, the book was good, but this is its own thing. And I could see how they got from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. But I also expect them to be a bit different. Yeah. Well, and just based on what Lily you've told me, it sounds like that that code to keep someone grounded is what they saw as the shining light in the book. I'm curious about that because since the book is called The Code, yeah. and we've got a version of the code, is it the same? Is it not? How different is the shade in the book which has a different first name from the one in the TV show? Because I know various aspects of the uh, surrounding situation, I think, are fairly different. Interesting. So I don't know how much it plays out, uh, the same or different. And then this ended with uh, a reveal in the final episode Yeah. that I think kind of kicks off the next season. Very interesting. And I felt it was a good reveal. It it was a natural reveal. A, it makes sense reveal in terms of why it was just now being discovered. There's always a why now for those sorts of things, yeah. and they, they did a good job explaining that. Yeah. Well, and the the moment Shade sat in a chair, kicked his feet up, and tilted back, I'm like, he going to fall. Falls, thump, and that leads to. Yeah. And there's an art to finding when to get into a story and when to get out of a story, whether it's a, an individual scene, an episode, or overall story. Yeah. They found the right way to get us into him leading up to becoming the PI. It was a natural out for the season. And that reveal is one of those where it's like, okay, we know there's more. There's there's a bigger mystery to solve. Mm-hmm. And while the arc for the first season was Shade and Angie kind of coming to terms and him becoming the PI, the next season is now their partners, they've got a mystery, a big mystery to solve while they're solving all the, the smaller ones in between. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious where they go with it. It's it's a fun show. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to to getting more of the the Angie family side, if you will, because I think they did really well by Shade this season. Yeah, and I think Jason Priestley did a really good job pulling off the he is a celebrity, he is well liked in many respects. He's got a little bit of a, a not so great background in other respects. And there are times where he's smart, but he's got that, hey, wait, what what just happened? Kind of. Yeah almost double take or whatever that is a lot of fun yeah he did some good reactions yeah hopefully he's enjoying doing the show yeah um the uh the one who plays angie everett i didn't know uh recognize from anything but she's done a fair amount up in canada cindy sampson yeah yeah and i went at one point through her imdb page and it was surprisingly long yeah there's a part of me that wishes more canadian shows came down to america there are a number that do, but I think it's a small percentage of what they've got. Yeah. And they do some quality stuff. But, I mean, Flashpoint was on CBS for a while. Yeah. Um, uh, a number of other shows, such as uh, Dark Matter, a lot of what sci-fi airs, uh, a fair amount of it has come from Canada. Yeah. And they've got a, a big city, you know, in, in Vancouver to draw from, in Toronto to draw from. So different East Coast, West Coast acting groups or whatever. A lot of, of talented people, a lot of great locations to use and such. Yeah. So it's it's also fun just to see a different take on kind of the Hollywood privatized genre that's not literally Hollywood. Yes. So they come at it from just enough of a different angle that it's familiar yet not identical. Yeah. So anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.